Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 33. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. Awesome to have you here. Here's our drill. Don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go to my website for all of the show notes and everything else, including my stunning food and product photography. I'm a commercial and editorial photographer, and I can help enhance your brand and drive more revenue to your company. Hit me up. If you have questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, I do a lot of culinary sleuthing, and I'm here for you. Shoot me an email at letsgoonafoodadventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures at letsgoonafoodadventure on Instagram. All right, you guys, let's go on a food adventure together. So how's everyone doing? How's the week? How's how's your August going? We are in like full swing heat in New England again. We had a few days where it was gorgeous. I know I talk about the weather constantly. It's it's New England though. Like you blink, the weather changes. A lot of times I not only eat seasonally, but I also eat depending on like what the temperature is outside. Cozy day soup, warm day tequila, you know, you know how it goes. Anyway, so it's been a lot of grilling and chilling in our household this week because it's been in the 90s and that's warm. That's warm. Your girl doesn't like that heat. I love... A San Diego 75 degree day with like a 50 degree night kind of vibe. That's my jam. But, you know, I'm here in New England for family. My husband loves New England. So we're in New England for a hot minute and I'm trying to uh, embrace it because this is technically where I grew up and it is my home. All right, enough about that because today we're going on a serious adventure somewhere I've never been before. And I don't know if you've been there, but my guest is from there. So let's jump into this. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, my guest today. I adore her. She was born in Guyana, which just in case your high school or junior high geography class failed you should not be confused with Ghana, which is in Africa. Guyana is located in South America. She specializes in Guyanese and Caribbean cuisine with a beautiful Whole30 spin on it and paleo. She has a very popular food blog called MetMG and she is a beautiful light and incredible soul in this world and somebody I am very honored to call a friend now. So please, please give a warm welcome and a round of applause to Althea from metmg.com. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh my God. I'm so good. It is so good to see your smiling face. We have been talking now for months, trying to like <laughs> get together and bond. And like, I am, I'm such one, a huge fan. So I'm fangirling a little bit right now, but two, oh. like, it's just, it, I am thrilled to have you on here and to talk about 
Guyana, Guyanese cuisine, and you as a beautiful human. So this is so awesome. Thank you for agreeing to, to come on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you for being patient with my schedule and for insisting on like, you know, we got to do this. I am also a fan. I love your food photography and I can't wait to talk about my first love, maybe second, because you know, I love my kids. I know. Totally, totally. So I think we need to start in the beginning, which is yeah. where you're coming from. And let's not confuse it with Ghana in Africa, which I'm sure people mm -hmm. constantly are like, oh, you're from Africa. You're like, no, I'm from South America. It's basically the Caribbean. It's this beautiful little country called Guyana. So yeah, you know I, what? Mm. Um, I didn't encounter that as a problem until I moved to the US. Mm. Um, and then I, I didn't realize that a lot of people didn't know where Guyana was and why should they? It's just this small country in South America. And so I started describing, like when I say I'm from Guyana, I would follow up by saying like, it's in South America, right above Brazil. And then people would be like, okay, because you're right. Like I, at first, like people would just say, oh, oh, wait, wait, did you say Ghana? And then they would say, People have gotten a lot better, I have to say, about okay. saying, I don't know where that is. And I think that's better than pretending or confusing it with something else. I totally agree with you. And I really do blame the U.S. school system. They have failed us on many things. <laughs> Geography being definitely one of them. And also, I'm a child of the uh, 80s. So when I grew up, the maps and the way that the countries and the sizes of the countries were much different than they weren't realistic. So they always made right. the U.S. so big, which is so stupid because it's teeny <laughs> tiny compared to the rest of the world. And yet, you know, male egos yeah. who drew the maps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't even yeah. get into that. But, yeah, no, I, yeah. Um, I used to get upset at first and be like, why don't they know where I am? And then I realized like, okay. I don't know where every single country is. I have a general idea just because of how we were taught geography in school. But if you ask me about some little African country, I might not know exactly where it is. And so I also had to put my ego aside and be like, well, you know, it's not their responsibility to know where my country is, but here's a great opportunity for me to educate you and be like, here's where my country is. Here's why we're so different. And by the way, we consider ourselves to be of Caribbean heritage, even though we're in South America. So we're a little weird, but you know what? <laughs> it's right. so cool. And like, th that's what makes your country so new, so unique because one, it's the only English speaking country in South America because of fucking colonization. British colonization. Yeah. And two, you identify more with being Caribbean, even though you're on the continent of South America, smashed between Venezuela and, and I don't want to get this one. And Suriname. Yeah. Suriname. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that's as a huge consequence of colonization, right? Because the British didn't really want Guyana to be influenced by those countries around them. They wanted Guyana to be interested, then British Guyana to be influenced by the other colonies that they, you know, owned had. or had yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they traded among these colonies and that's how they labor, everything was distributed among these colonies. And so we connected more with those colonies and islands than we did our own neighbors, you know, like um, like Venezuela and Suriname. And, and that's, that's all the colonization design um, wow. to travel to anywhere in South America, except for, I guess, Venezuela, Brazil, and Suriname that are our neighbors, you have to leave 
South America, go to the US and then fly to those countries by design. That's how the British intended it to be, you know? And so it, we're, we're not really connected to them. So ge geographically, we are South Americans, but um, heritage and culture, we are Caribbean people, you know, like all of our food, our accents, our influences come from what was created by colonization. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. So let's talk a little bit about Georgetown, where you're from. Is that mm -hmm. the capital city? It is. And it's it is located on the coast, on the ocean. It looks absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Like I'm going on vacation there. My bags are packed. <laughs> I'm gone. And it seems like it's one of those, I'm sure, obviously after this podcast episode, but even going forward that this is going to be a new tourist destination. I, I honestly yeah. think so. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people go to Guyana more for the rainforest experience than they really do for Georgian. Georgian's beautiful. It's my home. When I go there, I feel most like myself than anywhere else in the world. Um, but it is a small city that has a lot of things going for it, right? There's constant political things that are happening. There's um, poverty and all this other stuff. But the beauty in Guyana is actually some of those things, the markets that um, seem like they're a little frozen in time, right? Like everything, the natural food. I often joke that we've been doing organic before organic became a thing. Like we've had <laughs> to take our bags to the market before they stop offering bags to markets totally. at other places. Totally. We've had coconut water straight from the coconut and use the husk as a spoon like we're the original organic go green people, right? Right? I love it. Caribbean awesome. people in general um, yeah. and just that whole experience is a great one and I think everyone if you can should try to go and experience um, a country that is just the people are so genuinely happy and excited um, there's such cultural diversity because of all the things that we've experienced through colonization to our independence. And then if you have enough time, go into our rainforest and, and experience that as well, because it's really untouched and beautiful. Really? So is it comparable to the rainforest? I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to Brazil. Um, I didn't go up to the top of Brazil. My brother, my brother and his girlfriend live in Brazil. They live in Rio. So I was further south, but I hear, I mean, obviously when you think of rainforest, you think first and foremost, Brazil, like the Amazon, yeah. like that's, and right. so you guys are at the tippity top of basically where the rainforest area begins. Right. And then exactly. it, it comes down. So your rainforests are probably, I mean, dare I say even a little more tropical and warmer than even the ones further South. Am I right with that? I could be wrong. Yeah. And so our rainforest, like we are, Guyana is over 80% rainforest, I believe. Wow. Um, and the little, like where Georgetown is on the coast is where most of the people, most of the population lives, but that's just a small um, percentage of our landmass. And the other part of it is that our rainforest is also untouched. You know, it's like, there's not a lot of people living in there. There's not a lot of um, like people Im impact impacting the, yeah, the, the ecosphere and all that kind of stuff over right. the, in, in the rainforest. So it actually is a really great experience. And the thing that a lot of Guyanese people talk about the most and we're most proud of is uh, Kaitra Falls, which is, uh, it's known to be the largest single drop waterfall by volume and height. And so it's beautiful and breathtaking. And um, 
a lot of people go to Guyana specifically to see that um, and to do sort of like these rainforest water tours that they're doing. I actually have never been to Kaichur Falls because <laughs> what, you know what happens, right? When you live somewhere, oh, you oftentimes can't afford. Yeah, you oh, also true. can't afford to go see your touristy thing in yeah. your country. And even when I went to Guyana most recently, um, I just didn't have time. I was there for five days and I just didn't have time for it. But it is on my bucket list of things to do and see and, and experience because I also don't want to feel like I'm an outsider in my own country, you know? Totally. Well, you can bring your kids and you guys can go and experience <laughs> right. it together once they're a little older and exactly. fall off the, uh, the falls. But that sounds incredible. So now, Part of your story is that, and I think this is fascinating, that at 18, which is, I mean, you're an adult at 18. So you spent your entire first 18 years of your life in this beautiful Caribbean style town. And then all of a sudden you end up in New York City. (laughs) You end up in, (laughs) what was it, Queens? Yeah, actually I I was in Brooklyn first and then later Queens, but yeah. And okay, one, culture shock to the weather you're like what is this crap why is it so cold and then then you go to denver which is sunnier and definitely more mild at times but all of my family lives in denver so i understand how wacky the weather can be like in may you can get snow it'll melt right away but you can't yeah like how how was that transition for you it it was rough you're right um we came to the us in november And, um, pardon my naivety, but I literally had no idea that it could be bright sunshine and freezing cold. And so the first morning, like waking up in my aunt's house, I tried to open the door and go outside in my pajamas. And my cousin was like, you're going to get sick. Don't do that. And I was like, it's so bright and sunshine. And she was like, no, no, it's freezing cold. And then I went outside and I was like, I feel like I'm in a refrigerator, like what's happening, you know? And so the weather definitely was crazy, but like, like anyone else, you adjust. Um, I actually love New York. I love um, just everything about it. The vibe, the fact that you can find food from anywhere in New York city, there are little neighborhoods. There's even a little Guyana. Like I just, I love that about New York. And then I moved to Denver when I got married. Um, my husband was living here and we decided that this was where we wanted to raise a family if we had to choose between he had been living in Michigan before and I'd been living in New York and we're like no Denver's place absolutely love it here I love having access to the mountains um going for hikes with my family everyday things that we do just the space that we have um although with the influx of people moving here I don't know all the space seems to be like disappearing into thin air and rooms popping up everywhere but even that too just tells me that the city's progressing and when I first moved here 10 years ago it was so hard to find Caribbean groceries now I have like two options for Caribbean groceries less than 15 minutes away from me and it's just I love that because of the mixture of people that are coming here that it's just becoming diversified even more and I love that that's awesome so I think that that's such a great segue into we need to talk about Guyanese cuisine what defines the cuisine of your country and is it let me second question second question is it different when you get closer to the bordering countries or does it all kind of stay the same yeah yes and no um so the first question what Mm -hmm. what is Guyanese cuisine Guyanese cuisine is such fusion, right? Because we were influenced first by our first people, our Amerindians, then by Africans, enslaved Africans that were brought to the Caribbean 
um, and, and, you know, tried to hold on to the bits and pieces of the food they knew using the things that they now have available to them. Um, then we had, you know, Indians coming from India, tricked into indentured servitude, having to figure out how to bring all of the dishes with them, sometimes in a modified, simplified way, again, using whatever things they have access to. We also had Chinese who, who were there as um, laborers and Portuguese. And so we have little bits and pieces of all these things. And sometimes when I post something on social media, I'll have people responding to me saying, in blah, 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 we call this particular dish made exactly how you're making it, this other thing. And then I look that up and I realize, hey, that's actually where our um, Indians came from in Guyana. So wow. I can see why that's transitioned into her. So Guyanese food is just so diverse and so flavorful. And what makes it Guyanese food is the flavor. Like it's the flavor of it. So we might have uh, a curry that looks like your run-of-the-mill curry to everyone else, but the amount of masala and ingredients that we put into it might be a little bit different. And that's the flavor, the taste of it you can identify that this is Guyanese food. Um, and so we do have six different uh, races, peoples, ethnicities that mm -hmm. make up Guyana's population. And from them, we've borrowed, incorporated ingredients and recipes and dishes to make up Guyanese cuisine. So you could have anything from uh, fufu and, and some soup that's very African, or yeah. even metemji, the thing my blog is named after, is an African stew. Um, you can have a, curries, you can have chow mein because that's Chinese, and it's just, we'll just make it different than the original dish, you know? And wow. the second part of your question, does the food change as you get closer to those bordering countries? It doesn't necessarily change in what the food is, but the flavor might change because they might be using ingredients that are more accessible to them. Um, people that live closer to Brazil might include more um, Brazilian ingredients. They mm. might be more meat heavy because they're ranchers and they th that that's the kind of food they have access to. Um, and then people who are more closer to Suriname, actually we share some similarities with Surinamese cuisine. So the food might look a little bit the same. But um, yeah, there are definitely influences in what those foods look like. And also as you get closer to those borders and outside of the city, most of the population tend to be like native Guyanese. So their food is also very um, akin to their culture. Like it's very much like whatever their village makes or their culture makes, that's what, that's what you'll experience and that's what you'll get. But the flavor just changes the name wow. of the dish and what it is might not. Wow, that's that's incredible. So it sounds like that you have, I mean, you mentioned curry, you mentioned an, an Asian dish, you mentioned, so it seems like it is truly a melting pot, like you described, of these cultures and flavors. And like I did an interview with a good friend of mine and her family's from Lebanon. And so she, I was like, well, what's the basis of, of the dishes in Lebanon? She's like, there's always lemon, garlic, and dried mint in like almost every mm. single thing in Lebanese cuisine, but you you can't define that in Guy Guyanese cuisine, can you? No, it's you, like- No, you can't. And I think if I had to say like, oh, what's the one thing that Guyanese people use a lot in their cooking that other people might not use? It might be casserole, which is made from cassava juice. Oh. Um, and so we use that a lot of times as like, 
the thing that adds color, like your soy sauce or like that dark, rich oh. thing, like we'll add that to our stews and even to chow mein and fried rice and that kind of stuff. And so then it gets a different flavor than you would get, say, with your soy sauce, right? Um, and so maybe that's the one thing. And and then I guess Caribbean green seasoning. But I feel like- What's that? Makes, Wait, hold yeah. on. What's Caribbean green seasoning? Oh my God, tell <laughs> yeah, me. Tell me so I have this, this love-hate relationship with Caribbean green seasoning, right? Because growing <laughs> up, my mom put it in every single oh, dish God. she would make. <laughs> so everything had sort of a similar note to it. Like you just- taste it and basically it's like a pesto right so it's it's just herbs that are blended uh into this kind of paste fresh Almost herbs like a so sort of yeah so like a chimichurri but it's used as a marinade um and so or like a sofrito a okay. sofrito is probably the best description of what it is okay. right um and sofrito is also you know like the latin caribbean yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. It, right? it's a great base of how every latin dish right starts. right so if you're gonna season any sort of protein you would add two tablespoons of green seasoning or more like depending on what it is okay. um and green seasoning typically has your um thyme uh, green onions or we call it shallot in guyana mm. um you'll have onion and garlic some wiriwiri pepper, which is our little chili peppers that are like fire bombs. I love that. Um, <laughs> and whatever else you want to put in there. If you want to put some celery, if you want to put some cilantro, like you'll do those things. But the base of it is just Guyanese thyme, which is actually Portuguese thyme. Okay. Onion, garlic, pepper, and you blend it up. And then um, you season everything under the sun with it, right? Um, and I, I have this love-hate relationship with it because it is really a great base, but I don't want all my food to always taste like that, right? Fair <laughs> and enough, so, yeah. And so um, I haven't even shared a recipe for this because I'm like, no, because then you guys are going to go put it in everything, right? Um, and I feel like I make green seasoning for dishes, but every time I do something different because I might not want celery in this particular thing, so I won't include it. Um, so besides, I think maybe that's the thing that defines... Guyanese yeah. food, but that also defines Caribbean food in general because other Caribbean countries have their green seasoning and they do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And is it something like that your mom would keep in the fridge at all times? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So it's on... like that crusty jar in the back and they just keep making more and adding to it. And you're like, oh God. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So like on the weekends, my mom will go to the market, go to the supermarket, whatever, buy all these herbs, blend it up. And that's her, she has it for the week. Like that's what she's adding to everything when she's cooking. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> you're like, it's great for like a dish, two dishes. Like I noticed on your blog, you had a couple of recipes. One was a, um, I think it was a chicken dish. And I believe it, you have it at Christmas maybe. And normally it would be like something people might put pork in this dish instead of chicken at Christmas. Oh, the, the garlic pork. Yeah. yeah. And is that the same sauce, the seasoning that's going on the garlic pork for the garlic chicken? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Cool. So yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. And when you, just as a typical meal, would you guys have the protein and then what would be the starch? Is it rice? Is it roti? Mm -hmm. Is it, you're like, yes, all of those things. Yeah. It's all all of those things. <laughs> okay. So yeah. That's, okay. And is it coconut rice? Is it like a sticky rice? No. So, so the, a basic Guyanese everyday meal would be that you have rice or roti, depending on 
your cultural background. If you're more Indo-Guyanese, then you might have roti more than you have rice. Um, if you're Afro-Guyanese, you might have rice more than you have roti and everyone in between, right? Um, and so like growing up a typical, my mom is Indian. And so going up a typical mm. meal for us for breakfast would be roti um, and then some sort of stewed vegetable um, or eggs or something around that. And then for lunch, which is our heaviest meal, it would be rice. Um, it could be uh, coca rice, which is our coconut rice. It's basically mm. like um, a risotto, but if you're using coconut milk, is how I would describe it. So it's rice cooked very slow in coconut milk, and then you add protein to it. So you add your chicken, your beef, whatever. The way I make it is to just saute and brown my protein first, then add everything else. Mm. Um, and that that's just one meal. That could be your whole meal. That's it. And you garnish it with some salad or, or something on the side, but that's a meal. Or Tip, and typically that meal is reserved for the weekends. Um, but it takes during time. the week, yeah, yes. right, right. But during the week, you would have like rice and you would have a vegetable and a protein, whether that protein's like chicken, beef, shrimp, fish, and that that would be and your 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 vegetable would be in the form of a stew, but not mm. stew the way Americans know it. Anything that you saute and have a little sauce is called a stew in Guyana. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's not cooked to hell and you can't even tell what the vegetables were. Right. Right. Like Americans so, do. Right. Right. So anything, um, and it also, anything that saute is also called fry, um, and not fried, but fry. So it will say like fry eggplant, which is by good fry mm. boro, which is long beans, you know, like it's I just, love that. they're just I love that you have long beans. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a very Asian inspired. It's very Asian. It's ingredient. very Asian. You only Love get it beans. from the Asian market. Yeah, yeah. So good. That's, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. What would you have for dessert? I'm, I have such a sweet tooth. I need to, <laughs> we need to talk about dessert, Guyanese yeah. desserts. So we're not big on desserts as part of our meal in Guyana, but the things that I remember that are dessert like are um, like these ice creamy popsicles we call them custard block so it was custard based um and then we'd put them in these plastic bags and freeze them and that would be your little after lunch dinner treat if you wanted to or after school snack and very sweet we have cakes um so your typical sponge uh actually pound cake we call it sponge cake Mm. there's a lot of language play happening um and if you wanted to have like a really good Guyanese cake type thing, it would be like our black cake, which is rum cake um, or fruit cake. But these things are usually reserved for holidays and special occasions. Like we're not sitting down to a meal and having dessert um, after the meals. But if you like dined out, you'd probably have chocolate cake or something oh, that yeah. are not really Guyanese, but have made its way into our culture, right. you know. And do you guys have like a tea culture? Because you are influenced by Indian heritage and yeah and the british and they love their afternoon tea and they love their little biscuits with their afternoon tea we do have a tea culture um you might find that mostly guyanese people drink tea more than they drink coffee I'm a tea drinker. I, mm-hmm. we don't have coffee in our house. We have a coffee maker only for when we have guests, literally it's yeah. in my cupboard and we pull it out when we have guests. <laughs> That's hysterical. What kind of tea do you like? <laughs> um, I like chai. Um, I like Ooh. black tea. Yeah. 
Um, English breakfast is my favorite type of breakfasty type tea. Tetley is a brand that we yep. grew up on. But also Caribbean people and Guyanese people use tea to mean any hot beverage. So you can have cocoa tea, you can have chocolate tea. It gets very uh, confusing. Yeah, yeah. Babies yeah. have tea, but it's actually formula or milk. Oh my God. Like <laughs> I love that. I totally love that. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Um and where are you getting so if I was going to the grocery store and I wanted to pick up some authentic Caribbean Guyanese ingredients to dive into a recipe. I know you said you've got a couple of stores near you. I also know on your website, which we will link in the show notes that you have an online store where people can get a handful of things that you've curated. Where, what, like, what am I picking up? Where am I getting this? What do I need to get? Tell me everything. Cause I'm obviously going to heck out of your country. (laughs) So I think the thing is, Um, If you're in a place where you just have your chain supermarket, you just have to buy the right spices and mix them together to get the spice mixes that will give your food the flavor that Guyanese food has. Um, And so like when I first moved here and we didn't have those things, I had to start playing with flavors like I couldn't find long beans. And so I started using string beans and just cutting it up to look and mimic um, long beans and then kind of using brown sugar, but not your generic brown sugar. Demerara sugar is the sugar that we use in Guyana. Mm. It's the sugar that's produced in Guyana. And actually Demerara is actually uh, um, one of the, I can't remember the word now, but there are three of them. Guyanese people are going to be like, this girl. Um, So like states more or less, right? That um, are like counties. So one of them is Demerara. There's Essequibo and there's Burbese. And so Demerara sugar, I kick myself the Guyanese people didn't like trademark this. Um, <laughs> is I had made no idea that's where Guyana. it came from. That's incredible. Yeah. And I it's in my cabinet downstairs and I use it all the yeah. time. So now Demerara sugar is produced anywhere and it's a type of sugar and how they make it. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of sugar that we use. So anytime I'm doing my recipe, sometimes I say, use Demerara sugar for this because they'll give you the flavor that's closest to home. Um, and so, yeah, so I'd, I'd add those things into my food when I was cooking. Now I kind of try to not have sugar as much. So I do different things, but if you wanted to start there, I would start with just getting a, a few ingredients that help you to build those flavors. And it's not anything that you can't find. It's just how you put it together. Like we use a lot of, um, we use a lot of fresh herbs and then we use a lot of cabinet pantry staples so like your onion powder, garlic powder, um, your bouillon cubes, those kinds of things we use in our cooking. And so to build those flavors up, if you can't just go buy a pack of cook-up rice seasoning because you don't have a Caribbean store and you're not in Guyana, you just have to build up the flavors that are in there. Like for instance, in cook-up rice, the thing that gives it that unique flavor is Asian basil. And what? so, yeah, okay. we, we call it marred man poke in Guyana, which don't ask me where that came from. I, love that. I, I have no idea how That's they awesome. even came up with that name, but it's really Asian basil. And so the minute I figured out that that's what it is, just happened to be in the supermarket smelling herbs because back before COVID, that was one of my pastimes. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, huh, this smells so familiar. And then did some research and realized that this is what it is. So if you can't get that pre-packaged seasoning, you add this to your food and suddenly you feel like you're home and you're cooking something that's so familiar. And now let's take a wine break with our sponsor. 
All right, now you guys know I love great wine, and a part of what I love is discovering new wines. But it's not always easy to know what to buy, which makes discovering new wines kind of a bit of a gamble, especially when you're spending $20, $30, even $100 on a bottle. That's why I love Wine Access. They make it so easy to discover and enjoy wines from both iconic estates and -and up-and-coming producers. The other day, I drank the 2020 Chateau Miraval Rosé from France. It was so delicious and only $24. Did you guys know that Wine Access has the most credentialed wine team in the industry? They taste over 20,000 of the world's best wines every year and only offer those who'd over-deliver on price. Each bottle includes a story that makes the wine so special and servings and food pairing recommendations. And if any wine fails to impress, they'll credit that bottle back to you. Plus, Wine Access is now the official wine provider of the Michelin Guide and are partnering with Michelin-starred restaurants, including Thomas Keller's three-starred Per Se, to curate collections. Now, I want you to find your new favorite wine with Wine Access, too. I've got an exclusive offer for just my listeners. $20 off your first order of $50 or more. Just go to wineaccess.com slash foodadventures to shop for my top picks. Your $20 discount will be applied at checkout. Order today and don't forget to go to wineaccess.com slash foodadventures. All right, keep drinking that wine and let's go back to the show. I love that. What are the fresh herbs that you would recommend someone to get beyond the Portuguese thyme, which is, sounds like it's very important that it needs to be Portuguese yes. thyme. That's much different. I agree with you. Time varies very differently throughout the world. Yeah. So, okay. So Portuguese thyme, what's another one? So then that Asian basil, yep, the Asian um, basil is very key to our cuisine. And then weary, weary pepper, like you can't forget that. Even if you're not into spice, if you take out the seed and the ribs of that pepper and just use the flesh, it has such a fruity flavor and, and not as much heat. Okay, are you saying puri puri or ruri ruri? No, weary, weary. So it's W-I-R-I-W-I-R-I. I love that. It's a tiny spherical chili pepper. Super spicy. packs a punch. (laughs) Okay. I love it. I love spicy. And is it the kind of spice that like hits you real quick and then dissipates really quick? Or is it like a long burn? Oh, no, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I am recently. No, this this is a good story. So recently I was making um, a soup. Mm-hmm. And weary peppers come in different colors depending on how you let them ripe on the vine. They can be red or they can be yellow or orange. Um, and for some reason, I had gotten a batch that had a lot of yellow ones, and I wasn't thinking about it. And I dropped, I always drop a few of them whole into my soups just to get that flavor, and then I scoop them out. Um, because my kids eat what I cook, right? Yeah. And I literally thought that this pepper was a piece of plantain and I ate it whole. Yeah. I almost died. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my god! In one bite, I almost died. I almost died. I had to like grab a glass of milk and like chug it down, big time. And here's the saddest part about this milk thing is that my house is generally dairy free, so I didn't even have real milk. I was chugging down like almond milk and saying like, "God, please!" And it wasn't doing it. It wasn't doing it. No. Oh my god! All right. So PSA to everyone out there: the pepper's hot. Be careful, but use them because you want the uh, you want the flavor. Flavor. I love that. Yeah. So we need to also dive into the fact that you are a whole 30 coach 
and that you are like a big advocate of the whole 30. I love the whole 30. I think I've done it. I've done it a few times. Um, I have friends who do it all the time. Let's talk about that for a second. How did you get mm-hmm. into it and how has that changed your cooking? Because I imagine it's totally open new doors, different types of cooking, everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I first did the whole 30, I think it was 2015. Um, I had recently been diagnosed with a like chronic acid reflux. My doctor was like, you're going to have to take this acid blocker for the rest of your life. Take Ugh. it 30 minutes after you wake up every morning before you eat anything. And I was on this regimen. I'd also started a new job and was trying to get to know the people there. And this um, person sitting right outside my office just happened to be into health and wellness and actually is now a functional medicine coach. And so wow. like one day I was like, oh my God, I forgot to take this blocker. I need to go to Walgreens ASAP. And I was like telling her, I'm supposed to be in this meeting. If someone comes looking for me, let them know I'll be right back because I got to get this. I won't survive. And she's like, what the hell's happening? So I explained to her quickly, ran out, came back. Later that day, she was like, you know, let me tell you something about food and how it impacts our gut. And she started sharing stuff and she's like, you would probably benefit from doing an elimination diet. And I think for her, the intent was that she would help me and talk me through it. But being who I am, the minute she left my office, I was like, elimination diet. Went to the Google. (laughs) I know. And I started like looking up elimination diets because I was like, oh my God, I have to do it. Like, this is so fascinating. I didn't know all these things. I grew up in a place where you weren't allergic to food. Like you eat whatever I put in front of you. Like my mom yeah. made all these things and you couldn't there be like, I don't want this. My tummy hurts. Like you're like, she was like, no, eat this, you know? And so the whole idea that like the food I was eating could be making me sick when I actually, at that point, I used to eat things like brown rice and steamed carrots and green peas and stuff oh like God. that. Right. Because I was like, um, always the chubby friend. And I was always like conscious of my weight and where I was in, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, She's like, yeah, even that stuff you're eating right now could be irritating your stomach. And I was like, this tasteless food? Okay, sure. Right. And, <laughs> and I happened upon the Whole30 and I did the Whole30. I did it um, pretty, pretty much the way a lot of people do Whole30s the first time, where it's like you just read the stay away from these things and you try to stay away from them, but you're eating like a bowl of broccoli for lunch oh, because you're like, I don't know what else to eat. And, and you're so you're, hungry and you're, and you're so hungry and you're worried and you don't know. And then yeah. day 31, I was like, oh, I did it. Yay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And boom, I, I went right back into it okay. and I got violently ill, um, okay. violently, violently ill. And then went to my doctor and said, something must be wrong. And um, he referred me to a GI person who was like giving me all these tests. And he was like, no, you don't have celiac, but I can tell something's wrong, all this kind of stuff. And it turns out that I have a a non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is like gluten in food and chocolate was my policy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. And so I... um, you know, again, they were like, okay, you can take all these things that'll help your stomach, all these drugs. And I was like, you know what, let me give this whole 30 thing another chance and see what it is. I did it the right way, bought all the books, did it the right way, um, went through the full reintroduction, which is where you can actually test what things make you feel sick. Yep. Um, It was definitely gluten, some grains, sometimes rice. Um, And then I've done it several times after that. But the time that I did Whole30 where I felt like this is something I could do and subscribe to and support and push was when I did it with Caribbean ingredients. When I sat down and said, I don't want every time I'm doing this thing, 
my kids are like, why aren't you eating with us? My husband's like, why aren't you eating this way? I wanted it to be a part of my family structure. Mm-hmm. And so I did a Caribbean Whole30. And I was like, wow, I'm so happy. Half of the things that I eat regularly are Whole30 compatible. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, this is, I just needed to tweak a few things. And um, that's that's where I landed. And the Whole30 has been great. It's a great reset. I don't think I'll be doing a full round of Whole30 again anytime soon, just because I the way the Whole30 is designed is really for you to identify the things that don't work for you and then kind of come up with a diet plan for yourself that you can lean on that helps your body to thrive. So mm. it's not necessarily meant for you to just be like, I do Whole30 365 days a year and this is what I'm doing. It's really designed for you to do it for those 30 days plus the 10 days for reintroduction. And then say, you know what, this round, I learned all these things about my body. And so now I know that I can have this or I can't have that. And that's how it's it's designed to do. But some people find it hard to survive in food freedom, which is the stage where you are making your own choices. So they lean (laughs) into Whole30, you know? Yeah, right, right. And that makes a lot of sense. So that's a great segue into some listener questions. You want to dive in? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Dan from Instagram writes, what is your favorite Whole30 summer recipe right now? It would have to be jerk shrimp salad, like, or jerk chicken salad. Um, I have an amazing jerk marinade that's Whole30 compatible and made with fresh herbs and then some pantry ingredients. And it is just so versatile. You can put it on anything. I put it on fish. I put it on shrimp. I put it on chicken. And then if you put that in a really nice salad, um, if you were the type of people who like fruit in your salad, add some mangoes and some pineapples with that little spiciness of the jerk. Yum. Delicious. Who, who, what monster doesn't want to put fruit in the salad? I'm sorry. Some people are I know, like I not know. wanting to have greens and fruit, but if you are and you're my kind of person, I'm in that do it. I'm in that. I like the savory and the sweet. I like the balance. Yeah. You gotta have balance. Yeah. And that. if you really want to get fancy, grill those pineapples and you're gonna be in heaven. So Check yeah. You out. I also <laughs> like to grill an avocado occasionally too. Yeah. So grill some pineapple and avocado, Dan. Mm-hmm. Toss it in yeah. that salad. Okay. Vanessa in Toronto asks, I go to different Caribbean islands every winter and miss the food when I come back home. How can I make an authentic Caribbean recipe at home? We kind of touched on that. But yeah, dive into one. Yeah, definitely. In the wintertime, you can do lots of Caribbean soups that are hearty and will keep you really warm. Soups are big in the Caribbean year round because um, otherwise, when will we? When do we have soup? It's never cold. So true. So true. So. What's a Caribbean um, soup we can link a recipe to? Metem G is a really good soup to start. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so excited to make that. I'm gonna make it. Probably while it's super hot out and I don't care. It's going to be great. Because if I was I in the Caribbean, it'd be super hot out and it looks like- All the time. Yeah. yeah. Navina. Navina from Facebook writes, I love your blog. Who doesn't, Aww. girl? I'm thinking about buying an instant instant pot. What yeah. I always call it Instapot. Instant pot. What is your favorite instant pot recipe? My favorite instant pot recipe right now is lamb stew. Um, here's why I love it. Even though a lot of people don't do ins- a lot of instant pot cooking in the summer, I like that this is quick and it's easy. It has lots of bold flavors. 
and you can eat it with some cauliflower rice. You can eat it with some roti. You can eat it with real rice. Like it's so versatile. And then you're not slaving over the stove. You set it, forget it. And then you have deliciousness. I love that. I'll link that recipe. And do you have a good roti recipe on your, I know your mom oh, makes I insane do have, roti. Yeah. I know. Okay. I have awesome. a really great roti for beginners. Um, that makes it a little bit easier and less intimidating. So yeah. why? What's intimidating? I've made it a couple of times. Tell me why people are intimidated. By so a lot of people struggle with understanding what the dough texture should feel like. And a lot of the recipes before this recipe would not give you exact measurements for the liquid part of it. So, and you know, like when you work with flour, sometimes you might need a little bit more, a little yeah. less. Um, but and also where you are in the world depends on that. Your right. altitude depends on that, right. how dry the climate is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what should and the dough so, feel like? So the dough should be soft and sticky. And oh. that's where the challenge comes in because a lot of people, when they get the dough and it's soft and sticky, they want to add more flour, yeah. which then makes your roti dry and stiff. Um, and so my recipe uses a spatula to mix the dough. So you don't ever touch it. So you don't ever have that anxiety of like, this is sticking to my hand. I need more flour. And it also has a little cheat in it. Um, I add a little bit of yeast because roti dough requires a lot of kneading and resting. Um, and with a little bit of yeast, you cut that time down and the fear of like not kneading it long enough and getting it right there. But um, I will say it's not traditional and it's not authentic, but the flavor and everything else is, and it's a great beginner. I'm, <laughs> I'm making that because the last one I made, I made a coconut roti and, um, I did this whole Sri Lankan episode and a deep dive on Sri Lankan food. So I made this roti and I thought it tasted great, but then I had like better roti. And I was like, mm, <laughs> no, yeah. I did not nail that one. No, mm, I have to go back. So and, I'm gonna try and Guyanese roti is more of a parata or a parota. Mm. Like um, it's very layered and flaky, except for if you're making um, a sada roti, which is more like the what Indians call roti. So I get into lots of fights on social media because they're like, this is not roti. And I'm like, it's Guyanese roti. Like it's our roti. Yeah, you know? come, come to Guyana. You'll see my roti. <laughs> I'll show yeah. you. I love that. Um, Alma in Connecticut writes, I'm trying not to eat as much gluten. And I know there's a million gluten-free flours out there. What are your favorites? So my favorite right now is definitely cassava flour. It's it's proving to be very versatile in Caribbean the cooking mm. and the things that we can do for it. So if you wanted to go, go the gluten-free, grain-free route, I would recommend cassava flour. Also, the all-purpose gluten-free blends have gotten so much better so over much time. Better. Night and day. And a lot of them are pretty much like one-for-one one replacement for recipes, and they work. Um, a lot of times with the like fried bread recipes and stuff for Ghana, like the bake recipe, you just need to add an egg so they can hold it together. Mm -hmm. But for pretty much everything that I do now, I just use all-purpose gluten-free flour and do the one-for-one one, um, mm -hmm. exchange and it, it works. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, great. And with cassava flour, is there, when you're baking, do you bake with it or are you making mm -hmm. your roti with it? Okay. So when you're baking with it, is it the same, what kind of texture does cassava flour end up having because gluten-free yeah. cakes are much different texture than regular flour yes. cakes in a way yeah yeah so uh, the cassava flour it does you do need to use it between parchment paper if you're rolling or shaping anything mm. um for bread you need it to look like a batter like a batter like you're making a cake oh. than, than a dough yeah 
Um, otherwise it's going to be rock hard and you're not going to be able to eat anything, but it needs a lot of liquid because it, it like absorbs all that liquid and then it swells. And so you need a lot of liquid and, and there are lots of great recipes using cassava flour. I'm trying to think if I have a recipe using cassava flour for roti and, um, I think I use cassava flour in my carrot cake recipe Ooh. if I didn't just use um, all-purpose flour, but yeah. yeah. Yum. Okay. We'll link to all of those. Natasha from Instagram writes, I love trying new cuisine and Guyanese cuisine looks amazing. Do you have a recipe or two you'd like to share to, uh, sorry, do you have a recipe or two you could recommend I start with? Yeah, I would definitely say start with a stew. So we have, um, chicken stew, my brown stew, boneless brown stew chicken is the most popular Whole30 recipe on my blog because it only uses pantry staples um, and protein and it cooks in 20 minutes. So if you want to start there and it's delicious and awesome. serve that over rice, if you don't have any dietary restrictions that prevent you from eating rice and it's absolutely delicious. Or you can try a curry. Um, my bunjash shrimp curry is also another easy one and a great weeknight meal if you don't want to spend a lot of time in, in the kitchen. Shrimp mm -hmm. cooks in three to five minutes. Yeah. And the, the bunjal curry paste uh, takes about five, 10 minutes and then you have dinner. Boom, done. And when you're saying rice, what kind of rice do you, because rice varies so yeah. much. What kind of rice is authentic to where you, you're from? Yeah, so Guyana also produces rice. Of course. Um, and so a lot of the, the, the rice that we get there are long grain white rice and some short grain white rice. I honestly prefer jasmine rice. Um, oh, yeah. It's just easier to cook. It has a nice flavor and it's just really good to digest. Mm. for me. And mm -hmm. so that's the rice that I usually cook with every day. But yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, Dan in California writes, I've seen so many friends do whole 30. Do you think it's something someone can do all the time or is it better just to do it for a month? Well, Dan, we actually really <laughs> dove in on that, but do you want to add anything to that conversation? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, oh, cool. That, yeah, I, I got that. That's answer. my question. Yeah, no. Um, I think a little bit of both, right? I do recommend that you do it for 30 days, do the reintroduction, figure out what, you know, things that don't work for you and how you can move forward from there. Um, but some people have a hard time when they're in food freedom saying no to things that don't work for them. And so they tend to live in this whole 3365 space. I find that very hard. Um, and you have to constantly think about where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat and, and that sort of stuff. But some people do it seamlessly. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, Dan, when you do it and you get into the food freedom phase, you're not going to fail. So if you eat something that, you know, I probably shouldn't be eating that tomorrow's a new day, my friend, reset exactly. that reset. Do not stress and worry about yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we stress and worry about so many things in our life. Yeah. And even the food freedom is actually designed exactly like you said, the whole point is if you ate something and you impulsively ate it and, yeah. and you weren't conscious about it for you to slow down and think about it, write some notes in your diary and say, Hey, you know what, when I saw chocolate cake, I couldn't control myself and I ate it. And now, uh, what do I feel like emotionally, physically, yes. what is that like? Yeah. And if the thing that you're worried most about is emotional, but like physically, it didn't really impact you. You think about that and talk about that and, you know, work through that so that the next time you see chocolate cake, you're like, Hey, last time you didn't make me feel so great. 
So I'm going to try to be as strong and not, I, I hate using the word strong because it's not that you're weak if you give into it, but I'm going to try my best to remember that these are, this is how I felt and not indulge in that. Right. And the other, that you, so beautiful the way you just said that. And the other part of that is that the chocolate cake, what you're doing is you're drilling down on the why. Why am yeah. I actually eating this? The chocolate cake isn't solving the problem. What what are you trying to avoid doing? And then you eat the cake instead. And I think that's right. beautiful. Exactly what you said. I need to do that more often. Alana. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? Alana in Massachusetts writes, I'm trying to lose some weight and I hate the idea of giving up dessert. What are your favorite dessert recipes? Yeah, so again, um, and you're not, I know you're not huge in dessert, but you're, you're definitely more of a savory gal that dessert to you is like, eh, take it or leave it. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. And for me, like, if you give me a good ice cream, I will eat that. And that's my dessert and weight loss is so tricky. And I don't have any like weight loss desserts that you can have. Mm-hmm. I would just say, um, try to think about why dessert is so important to you and how that impacts your weight loss. Because sometimes when you're working on weight loss, it's a lot of different things and not just the food you eat, right? It's movement, it's psychological, it's emotional. So I would probably start there then to try to figure out a, a like weight loss, pro weight loss. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And also, I mean, right now, gosh, fruit is so amazing. Berries, yeah, nectarines, peaches, everything is in season around here. So fruit can be your friend, especially when it's really good and really in season. I mean, if you're not eating a ton of sugar and then you eat some really fresh blueberries, oh, oh so good. definitely. So definitely. good. I mean, I would say like tropical fruits, but I can't, the, the best mango I've ever had in my life was in Brazil without question. South America, man, oh man, do you guys know how to do tropical fruit? Like you, we have no idea what a mango should taste like <laughs> until you go to South America and you eat one there. And you're like, yeah. they've been hiding this down here all along. Like it's yeah. so much better. You're so lucky. And even when I buy fruit here, I let them sit for a few days before I eat them just so they can ripen to the point where I know that they're going to be good. They're gonna be okay. Because, they're be better yeah. than, right. Absolutely. Um, Victor in New York and Victor, we kind of already talked about this, but we're just going to, we will touch on this one more time. Victor in New York asks to make authentic Guyanese recipes. What spices do I need to have on hand? Um, spices. So I think if you're going to make authentic Indian influenced Guyanese food, you definitely need jeera, which is roasted cumin. So it's roasted and then ground cumin. Um, a homemade masala or a masala you can get from the um, store. Garam masala is one of them that is popular. Curry powder, Madras curry powder okay. is, is what we use in Guyana. Um, we sometimes put cinnamon in our food, just a little bit of cinnamon, mm-hmm. just to give it some flavor. Nutmeg, we also use a lot of um, cloves in more warm dishes. Um, I think that would be just some of the main spices that we use, but we also use coriander and um, other spices that other warm spices that just absolutely and cardamom, cardamom. I'm writing this all down to put in the yeah. show notes, cardamom, and then probably definitely garlic powder, onion powder, um, and right. So garlic powder, onion powder. 
Do you um, use any special peppers? Like beyond, I know the, the fresh peppers, but like, for example, when I was doing the deep dive on Sri Lanka, I realized there was a big difference between Sri Lankan black pepper and non-Sri Lankan black pepper. Like a Sri Lankan black hmm. pepper is almost sweet and has a sweetness to it. Uh-huh. And when you start, and like you just said, use the Madras curry powder. Madras curry powder is much different than other curry powders. The toasted roasted yes. cinnamon, much different, or not cinnamon, uh, cumin, much different than others, cumin. You know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. I wasn't sure if there was anything else. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great thing to note because what you can't go to the store and buy Jira unless you're going to an Indian store and the cumin that you might, the ground cumin that you might find in um, mainstream supermarkets is not going to be roasted. So we usually buy the whole cumin, roast yep. them in a pan on the stove, and then we grind them up ourselves with like your rolling pin or, you know, yep. your martyr and pistol. And that's, that's it. But you're right. Like those things, they just, have a different flavor and then every household might have a different masala recipe where they put a little bit more of something than something else star anise is another thing that we use in our cooking which i kind of don't like that sometimes you'll be eating fried rice and there's a star anise in there i'm like oh i hear you to me a little goes a long way with with, um uh, saffron yeah little goes a long way for me with saffron too. I don't know why I, I enjoy it. It's just, yeah. I just don't need a ton of it, but I got you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where we are in the spice herbs I love that. category. Now as a really well-established food blogger, I know what it takes to write recipes and then photograph them and then test them and then retest them and then re-photograph them because the other photos didn't come out so well. And now here you go. One recipe took like a week sometimes. What are you currently making right now in your home kitchen that you're excited about? So I am um, trying to do all of the summer favorites that I, all of my summer childhood favorites and introduce them to my kids. So I've been doing, yeah, I've been, I feel like they're all at the age now where they equally appreciate (laughs) when I say like, I used to eat this as a child, whereas like before um, I'd give one something and they'd like it and the baby would be like, you know, (laughs) whatever. But I mean, Axel eats everything. So that's not even fair to him. But um, like I made fluti was the recipe I posted this week, um, which is just ice pops but fruit ice pops. And it's interesting because when I was growing up, my mom made that with Kool-Aid. So she would make it with like red Kool-Aid, cherry Kool-Aid, oh, if sure. you know the flavor of the red one, the grape one. And then she would put a ton of sugar and water and then she would freeze it. Well, I try very hard not to sugar up my kids because then I pay for it later. So I was like, I'm going to make these, but I'm going to make them fruit-based. And I remember my husband saying, oh, but you didn't make it red. You know, fluty has to be red. And I was like, well, my fluty is not red. It's slightly orange and I'm posting it anyways. And you're right. That's, that's, that's the thing. So you make something, you're really excited about it. And then you look at the reel and uh, not the yeah. Instagram reel, but the film reel. And you're like, this yeah. is crap. Like yeah. now I'm going to make this again. And now, so yeah, so that happens to me all the time. Or I photograph something and then I lose the light. I do a lot of my photo- photography in natural light. You're chasing the light around your house. I lose the light. Oh. I lose the light or the Different. light is slightly yeah. warmer. Warm. Yeah. And then suddenly it doesn't look right. And I had that with video the other day. Um, 
I'm still struggling to light my videos correctly when mm. it's not natural light. And so I like did, you know, you're freezing something. So the next day you have to record that it's now frozen and the light was so much warmer. And I was like, oh my God, I hate this. I don't want to have to do it over again. It's like two days, make it, freeze mm -hmm. it, photograph mm -hmm. it, record it. So it's a lot of work. So that's what I'm working on. And then I'm working on the mm. custard version of that thing, which is the custard block, mm. which I talked about earlier, um, which has a lot of um, mm. nutmeg flavor. It's so good. Um, and I'm having the kids help me with it, which is also challenging because I want the video to be nice and smooth and flowing and show people that, you know, you can easily just tie the bag and it's so <laughs> simple. And my kids are like, oh I want to try. And, and, I'm a mess. Yeah. and I'm recording. Like, and it's, this was supposed to take 15 minutes it's, and now it's taking two hours. It's rough. Yeah, girl. I know. It's rough. People have no idea. They have no idea yeah. how long how, I mean, no, I've written don't. recipes for food yeah. bloggers and taking pictures for them too. And Oh, it's, ex yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It's just, my heart goes out to you. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone yeah. writing a cookbook or something like that, which would be a whole another bear. Yeah. So let's promote yeah. you. How can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Where can they get you? Yeah. So you can find me at metemg.com. That's M-E-T-E-M-G-E-E.com. And there I have um, links to Whole30 recipes, to Caribbean recipes. Um, I share my background. And then I'm on all the social media platforms. I am on Instagram, sharing reels and recipes every day. I'm on TikTok. I've taken a slight break from <laughs> I TikTok. And I just share so ever so often. You're on I can't even <laughs> download TikTok, let alone go on it. So my heart is out to you. Yeah, I I am. Um, I started TikTok earlier this year. I realized that what people really love about my TikTok is the mm. stories that I tell. So even though I share the recipe, I don't actually say like add four cups of flour, blah, blah. I just tell a story about why this recipe is so important to me. And that's been really resonating with people. But I always want the recipe and the story to be authentic. And so I'd rather not share than to share something and make up a story. So sometimes you see a little bit of gap here and there because I'm like, oh, I'm sharing this, but I don't really have a story except that I started making it when I got married. Right. And, you know, like- My husband likes it. You know, so- and that's, that's story yeah right yes that's the story and then I'm also on Facebook um, so you can find me there sharing pretty much all the content I share on Instagram over there and then on YouTube I have long form tutorial for recipes that I think are tricky or difficult and that deserve a little bit more like here's the step-by-step -step on how I got here um so awesome. you can I'll link everything YouTube. to the show notes for everyone one last question. Perfect. If COVID wasn't a thing, which it's kind of not, and you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? So I would be going back to Guyana. I, I kid you not. I have this. I, I was in Guyana recently for five days. My aunt had died and I was helping um, my family. And in the moments when I could slip away I did, and I ate my way through Georgetown, <laughs> um, and it was fabulous. And I keep saying that I want to go back, and I want to go back and experience street food in Guyana in all the other <sighs> regions of Guyana. Because like you, I'm also curious about what the food looks like as you get closer to the borders, as you get into remote villages. And I just want to be able to be unhinged and just eat that food however I want to and experience it. And that's what I would do. Um, no lie, like that's where I would go. 
and just go through Guyana awesome. and, and going to everything. the waterfall. You'd go to the waterfall too. Yeah. <laughs> and going, to I would go to the waterfall <laughs> and eat some it. food there too. It was yeah. such a pleasure talking with you. You're now one of my new best friends. I adore you. Thank you so uh, much. And I can't wait to see what you, the next thing you come out with is. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for reaching out to me and having me on your podcast. I'm so excited. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I can't wait to listen to this again. I know, right? to listen I love to it. All right, my friend, I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Althea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was an absolute blast. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'm going to link all of her information in the show notes. So check that out on my website, elizabethrfuller.com. Don't forget to hit me up with any of your culinary sleuthing or if you want to work together in the food photography and product photography space, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you make some really yummy food this weekend. Lead with kindness and I'll see you next Friday. Bye.